Good morning and welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here today. And uh, if you would, I'd like you to pull out this card. Uh, this is our Connect card. It looks like this. And so if you could pull that out uh, and start filling that out for me, uh, that would be great. So if you could do that. Um, and then at the end of the celebration, what we'll do is we'll uh, collect those cards and uh, we'll show you uh, what to do uh, with them. Well, today we're really excited uh, that our uh, team that is going to Jamaica uh, is here. Uh, most of them are here. And uh, we are going to uh, commission them and uh, pray for them. Uh, they'll be heading out, um, is it Sunday? Saturday, okay. Uh, Sunday, okay, Saturday to Saturday. So uh, they'll be taking off to go and to help people uh, in Jamaica. And uh, when Jesus was on earth, one of the big parts of his life was meeting the needs of people. And today we're going to commission uh, eight people who are here uh, to uh, serve those in Jamaica. And I'm going to come down here so I can talk to them. Uh, and they're going to make some commitments uh, in doing that. So um, as a commitment to your call and to, I invite you to kind of affirm um, some vows uh, that are here. So will you commit to living in a way where what you do and the way you do it will bear witness to Jesus Christ? And if so, you'd say we will. And will you, uh, to the best of your ability, be open to listening to what God has called you to say during this week and then do it? And will you finally commit to following the leadership that God has placed before you in Heather? This is Heather, everybody, right here. Uh, she's the leader of this group, and if so, please say we will. Um, if you would, in your program, uh, there's a little prayer sheet that you can actually be a part of uh, their week. And so if you pull that out just for a second. Each day there are specific things that they would like you to pray for them. And uh, you can go ahead and uh, see uh, their names that are there. And so starting Saturday uh, on June 30th, if you want to do that, you can just take this out and begin uh, to start praying for them. So let's go ahead and let's pray uh, for them now, and um, we'll look forward to what God's going to do uh, with them in Jamaica. Let's pray. Well, God, we uh, thank you so much for uh, each person who is here, and as they go to Jamaica, God, we ask that you would bless them, that you would bless them indeed, that for Rhiannon and Shelley and Lisa and Ron and Heather and Jennifer and Molly and Kyle, that you would use them and the gifts that they have to be able to care for the people in Jamaica who have uh, very little. So often we uh, think of Jamaica simply as a uh, place where we go to relax, a tourist destination. But for so many people, God, that's home. And they live in substandard conditions and are just barely making it. And so we just ask, God, that you would use this group of people to show your love in great ways and to reach out to them. We also ask, God, for your protection, that you would allow your angels to uh, surround them and to keep them safe all the way through the trip. 
And God, that there would be many lives that would be changed because of them. We ask that now, God, you would help them as they pack and get prepared, that they would have your heart in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's give them a hand as they go on our behalf. Well, today, right after this celebration, we are going to have something that we call First Steps with Chris. And so if you've been at the jar and you've been connecting for a while, but you haven't got a chance uh, to uh, meet me, uh, would love to get to meet you. It'll be right out these doors and to the right in the jar cafe uh, where the donuts and all uh, the drinks were at. And so um, would love for you to come. If this is your first time, come and do that. It'll just take about 45 minutes. Uh, lunch is provided and we'd love uh, to be able uh, to connect with you. Uh, next week, uh, I have a big announcement that I would like to be able to share with you, and so you'll want to make sure that you're here and you can invite anyone and uh, everyone to come and to be a part of that as well. Well, today we're going to talk about something that is really easy, relationships. Uh, all of us uh, have relationships, and so uh, we're going to discuss adultery, lust, gouging out of an eye, turning the other cheek, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, and swearing an oath. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Uh, we're just going to talk about uh, some things that sometimes we have trouble talking about. And for some of you right now, you're thinking, this is the Sunday I picked to come to church. Uh, we should have prayed and read the scripture and just went home. Well, actually, we're not going to look specifically at all those issues, but we're going to do kind of a broad uh, kind of a scope of that. Sometimes it's important to do details and to get real focused in on words, and sometimes it's better to just have kind of a sweeping look. Now, just by a show of hands, as we talk about relationships, how many of you have ever had a relationship problem in your hand? Just raise your hand if you have. Have you ever had a relationship problem? Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, the people who didn't raise their hands, what do we call them? Liars. Liars, that's right. So if you're here for the first time, we're not calling you a liar. We're just saying if you didn't raise your hand, you have relationship problems too. And we know that. Folks, all of us do. And because of that, uh, Jesus actually had some words for us to help us to understand relationships better. And in the text that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 5, which was one of Jesus' most famous teachings, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he actually refers to how to have non-loving relationships and the progression of what that looks like. And also, the progression of loving relationships and how we do that. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins by showing us a progression of kind of non-loving relationships. Now, the first step in this progression is your first uh, kind of big fill-in, because before we get to the steps, uh, let me slow down, and let me give you our big idea for this morning. 
And here it is. This is your first fill-in. The ultimate goal of the kingdom of God is to move all relationships toward the law of love. Love is present, and the key to all of our relationships is to be able to move them, all of them, all relationships toward the law of love. Not most relationships, not some relationships, not a few relationships, but to move all of these to the law of love. And Jesus then says that there is kind of a progression that takes place. It happens either in loving relationships or non-loving, and he begins with non-loving relationships. So here's the first thing in the progression of non-loving relationships, and it's non-loving attitudes. Non-loving attitudes. Any of you like dominoes? Anyone like dominoes? Well, I never knew how to play dominoes for most of my life uh, until I got married and then my wife's family played dominoes. But the thing I liked about dominoes was stacking all of the dominoes and then seeing them all fall down. And uh, they have like Guinness Book of World Records of how many, like I saw one this week that had like 300,000 dominoes. And it all begins, though, with the first domino. That the first domino is the first one that falls, and then after that, uh, all of them tend to fall. Well, in the same way, your attitude is the first domino that falls in any relationship. And it either creates a trip, and someone trips up, or it creates a buildup. Either you trip somebody up because of that, or you build them up. Now, Jesus kind of shows us how this unfolds in a marriage relationship, and I'd like you to look at this in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, each person here will read these words differently. If you're married, you look through one lens. If you're single, you look through another lens. Now, if you are single, uh, most uh, statistics tell us that people will try marriage at least at some point in their life. So for those of you who are single, uh, either that's really good news today or you're scared to death right now. And you're like, oh, uh, really, that's going to happen. It's true. Now, for some of you, you look through those lens today, and you see that word adultery, and you're like, ugh, because you've gone through that pain. You've had someone in your life who has not been faithful. And you've gone through the hurt and the destruction of that relationship, and honestly, I can't even imagine what that is like. And in a crowd this size, I have a feeling that some of you who might be married may have had a temptation to think about, I wonder if I just tried this, or what if I did this? And much of the time, it all begins with eyes that are filled with lust. For most 
married folks, when they walk down the aisle and they stand with their spouse and they say their vows till death do us part, most of the time they don't walk down the aisle and stand there and go, wonder when I'm going to have an adulterous affair. Just wondering when that's going to happen. Most people don't think about that. And yet, folks, it happens every single day. Now, most of the time, there's something that triggers this uh, way, way back that we don't see at the time. And it all starts with an attitude of the heart. And what I like to call them are digs. Little digs that happen, and over time it digs a big hole in our heart to where we go down another path. It might be, you didn't put the cap on the toothpaste. How many times have I told you? Or it might be, you don't, you know, take your dishes to the kitchen, or you don't pick up your clothes anymore. And it seems like small little things, but all of a sudden they become big things, and you get angry at each other. And then you start digging about the way the person looks, or you start digging about the fact that they're not working hard enough. And these digs get deeper and deeper and deeper until finally one night you have a huge fight, and you're yelling at each other, and you go to bed, and you're mad, and you're angry. And then that happens a few times over and over and over again until finally one person's had it and they're like, I'm going to sleep on the couch. And they start sleeping on the couch and then they sleep in separate rooms and all of a sudden there's this separation and it's dig after dig after dig after dig. And anger sets in. There's a story about a husband and a wife who were celebrating their 15th wedding anniversary when the husband asked the wife, where do you want to celebrate the anniversary? And the wife said, well, why don't we go someplace where I've never been before? And then he said, how about the kitchen? (laughs) Ouch, right? And over time, what happens, folks, is that it's just like this little dig and this little dig and dig, 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 dig. And soon, all of a sudden, bitterness gets in there, and there's destructive conversations, and there's emotional and sexual delight that disappears and goes away. And instead of there being a connectedness and a oneness and an intimacy within that relationship, it all starts to splinter. Non-loving attitudes, folks. They begin with little digs, but then anger gets in there, and then contempt gets in there, and it always is the first domino that drops, and it always begins with an attitude of the heart that we never think about. Here's the second domino that tends to fall in these non-loving relationships and the progression of it, and it's non-loving looks. Non-loving looks. We live in a culture in which we are bombarded by sexual images all the time. You can't hardly drive down the road without seeing a billboard or something on television. For example, my uh, wife, uh, recently she and I were watching television with our girls and we were watching uh, American Idol and Katy Perry uh, is one of the judges when all of a sudden 
my oldest daughter Jordan said, Dad, is that outfit appropriate? And I said, I don't know. What do you mean? She's like, it's a little bit too low, don't you think? And so we had to kind of talk through that, and it was a good conversation. It reminded me also of our first worship leader who was here before Derek. He grew up in a very conservative family. And each time that the newscaster, if it was a female, if there was any cleavage at all, they would have to take up a towel and put it on the television screen where you'd only see the face. And um, we didn't do that with Katy Perry. We just kind of had a conversation just kept on going. But I'm just saying that there, there is this sexual bombardment towards us all the time. Wherever we turn, sexual images are around us, and they become, to some of us, a preoccupation. And it's a very tough battle for us to face. How do I know this? I was reading a survey article this week, and, or an article, and in the survey, it talked about uh, Christians who were single ages 25 to 35. And this was a question they asked. What was the number, or what is the number one temptation in your life? Anybody want to guess what the number one temptation in Christians 25 to 35 is? Yeah, we, you can say it in church. You won't, you know, like, lightning won't come down. No, it's sex. That's what it is, sexual temptation. And so then I started wondering to myself, what did the other 18% put down? And then I saw it said lying was the second one. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Folks, when Jesus taught about lust, he was dealing with a culture that patted themselves on the back every time that they kept the seventh commandment. And you all know the seventh commandment, right? Do not commit adultery. But Jesus knew something that they didn't know, and Jesus knew something that we didn't know either. And that is that you could violate that commandment and still have all of your clothes on at the same time. Jesus was saying you could commit a sexual sin by how you fantasize about someone else or how you could fantasize by someone that's not your spouse. Now, Jesus was not saying that sexual desire is wrong. One of the problems that has happened in the church is that sometimes we don't talk about sex, and so then what happens is people are like, oh, it's bad. No, no! Sex is a good thing that God has given to us as a gift in the confines of marriage. It's the best thing to happen in that way. And it's not wrong for us, whoever we are, to to be attracted to someone, to go, oh, it's not even wrong necessarily to maybe have a sexual thought. That's not adultery of the heart. But Jesus, what he was saying, is when your look turns to lust. In other words, when you see the guy who's big and built and strong and he's running down the road without a shirt on, and all of a sudden you go into the other person's lane, like, that's wrong, okay? Or if you see yoga pants girl running down and all of a sudden you're like looking at her face and then all of a sudden you look down and you're like, yoga, yoga, you know, like that's wrong. The first look isn't the problem. It's the second, it's the third, it's the fourth, it's the fifth. When you start fantasizing and having mental 
uh, lovemaking with that person, that kind of thing is going too far. And Jesus just simply says, hey, when you live in the kingdom of God, if you do that kind of stuff, then you just get shattered in your relationship. Now the truth is, is that men struggle with this more than women do. But it's not a boys-only kind of situation. Men tend to be very, very visual. For example, Jennifer can have all of her clothes on, be duded up, looking great, and she can just wink her eye at me, and all of a sudden I'm like, Woo! Me, on the other hand, I can have myself down to my skivvies walking around showing that I am big and bad. And she looks and she just looks away. Because the thing is, for women, it's not the visual thing most of the time. It is the relationship. And that's why so many marriages go down different roads when God isn't at the center of it. And all of a sudden, they want relationship. And first it starts with internet chatting. Or I meet somebody at work, and he pays a lot of attention to me. And so the two of us start talking more and more. And before long, you start thinking about that marriage and the fact that he's been complaining and arguing and all kinds of stuff at home. And it creates a sense of vulnerability. And friends, none of us in this room are beyond this. Regardless of your gender, or how old you are. I was talking to my dad recently, uh, who's 80 years old, and I'm like, Dad, you ever have sexual temptation anymore? I mean, you're 80 now. He's like, I'm still breathing, aren't I? <laughs> and, and Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount that defeating lust, though, folks, because it's a real thing, if you're going to defeat it, it sometimes takes drastic measures. Jesus says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And you look at that and you're like, wow! Like Jesus is being pretty serious right now. Now before any of you take some drastic measures and start dismembering parts of your body, because the truth is, you know, if I had to cut off every part of my body that's ever lusted after something, there'd be no body parts left, you know. But rather, what Jesus is saying here is, if you wrestle with the sin of lust, you may have to take some drastic measures to get rid of that sin. You see, Jesus knew that you could cut off your hand or you could cut off your leg or you could pluck out your eye, but if it didn't change your heart, it really didn't matter. I mean, the whole issue, right, is the issue of the heart. There was a guy that I uh, reached out to, a brilliant guy, very, very smart, uh, college uh, professor, uh, had a wife, two kids, 
everything in his life was kind of up and to the right. And as I began to start building a relationship with him, I soon found out that he was addicted to porn. And uh, he was very inappropriate with comments that he would make towards other women. And I just kept building the relationship with him. And what happens sometimes for Christ followers is we have someone like that in our life and we forget what we were like one time. And so we're not very patient with those people. And so if you're reaching out to people who are really messed up, just realize somebody was really patient with you one day. So I just stayed real patient with him. It took two years. Never judged him. He knew what I did, but we just kind of did that. And finally, his marriage, though, started to crumble. And he said, man, i, I got to do something. I said, well, this is what you need to do. You need to get rid of all the porn in your house, and you need to take drastic me- measures to only honor your wife. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And so he went and he got all of the porn that was in his house. It was boxes of it, folks. And he got rid of it. And then he went ahead and got a filter put on his computer and on his phone that only his wife knew the combination and got rid of all of that. And then to top it all off, I said, you know, if you really want this to be better, and by this time he was uh, coming to church, I said, if you really want this to be better, Myself and a couple other guys will meet with you weekly and we'll have some accountability so that you stay on the right path. He said, okay. And I said, we're only going to ask like three questions. He's like, oh, okay. And these were the questions. The first one was, have you looked at any porn this week? The second one was, have you looked at any other woman lustfully other than your wife? And then the last question is, and you should always have this as your last question, if you're ever trying to hold someone accountable, okay? This was the last question. Are you lying about number one or two? Because this is the truth, folks. I don't know if you knew this or not. People lie. And when they're in some dark places, they have a tendency to lie more. And so every single week for two years we did this, and you might think that he would feel like he like had handcuffs on and he was confined and limited. But after two years, I just asked him, I said, well, how are you feeling about these drastic steps that you've taken to curb and get rid of this area of lust of your life? And I wasn't sure what response I'd get. And he got a big smile. And he's like, I've been the most free I've ever been in my life. My marriage has never been better. Now, I'm not saying this is the answer for everyone. I'm not saying that everyone should do it. But I am saying this. If you struggle with lust in your life, folks, it will not just go away because you go, oh, let me throw it into the sky and it will leave. You've got to take drastic measures to cut that part of your life out. And whether it's getting rid of things, getting someone to hold you accountable, that's the steps that you have to take. One great step that you could do is this Thursday, Celebrate Recovery, is at 7 o'clock. Go in and begin to allow the process of just doing steps. Don't live in denial. 
and find freedom. You know, I was thinking this week, imagine what our world would look like, what our nation would look like, if we got rid of lust. First of all, you know the Me Too movement? We would have never had to have that. Because no one would be lusting and having sexual harassment in workplaces. Marriages would flourish. 80% of all divorces would go down. And every time someone interviewed someone for a job, it wouldn't be based upon the way that they looked, but it truly would be based upon their skills. I mean, just imagine what would happen to our nation if we could get this thing under control. So here's the progression. Non-loving attitudes, non-loving looks, and then next, non-loving behavior. Non-loving behavior. Jesus continues on with the marriage example in verse 31, and he says this. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus wanted the people to know as he's speaking on this mountaintop that it was never God's intent for people to get divorced. And in that day, the reason why he said it is because people were getting divorced for many different reasons and mainly because it was a male-dominated society and women could not get divorced. Even if they were being beat, they couldn't. It was just this male-driven kind of thing. But the whole point of the culture was saying, hey, you know what? Any reason will do, dude. Whatever you want to do. If, if, if she burns your food, that's a reason for divorce. If she walks through the house with her hair messed up and she has morning breath, that's a reason for divorce. If she polishes her toenails while you're watching a sporting event, that's a reason for divorce. If she makes you watch movies on the Hallmark Channel all weekend long, that's a reason for a divorce. Now that one actually might be a reason for a divorce. I don't know. <laughs> now seriously though, Jesus said divorce is not my plan. He said, but this is how I know when it lures on the edge is when one or two people walk away from God's kingdom. And I know that some of you have gone through the pain of divorce. And this is what I want to say to you today. First of all, God does not want you to walk around with shame. He doesn't want you to have any shame whatsoever. He wants to give grace and freedom to where you're at. And for some of you, quite honestly, when you got married, you weren't a Christ follower. The other person wasn't a Christ follower. There's all kinds of biblical things that we could work through. But he says this now, that if you are a Christ follower and you are committed to marriage, that you take it all the way. Here's the fourth domino. Non-loving words. Non-loving words. 
The next words, I think, are kind of the crux of this entire section. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you make to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or one black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now there was a practice back in that day that's still true in our day. When people want to convince you of something, they try to manipulate or press in. For example, one of the things that people will say today is, I, I uh, swear on a stack of Bibles that I didn't do this. Or a person might say, you know, I'm telling you, I swear, honest to God, I never did this. Or I swear, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, I swear it. And so what happens is often what people will do is they will become manipulative with their words. And why do we do that swearing kind of thing? We want people to believe us and to trust us, but actually the reason with us doing that sometimes Actually, he's just trying to spin the truth to help people to get on our side. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, if you're one of my kids, don't do that song and dance. Don't be manipulative. Don't swear on a stack of Bibles kind of thing. Just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And when you hear someone say something, who lives in the kingdom, and they're kingdom-type people, you know that you can take it to the bank. It's as good as gold. Because they're not trying to lie. They're not trying to spin the truth. They're not trying to stretch something. It's true. But this is the thing, folks. Every time you turn to verbal manipulation, I swear on this, I swear I do this over time, you danger relationships because people aren't sure what to trust. I was thinking about some of the verbal manipulation that I've heard over the years from married people and one of the first dominoes to fall. Uh, this is the one that helps me. This is the one that I've heard the most. People will come to me and they'll go, Chris, I know what I'm doing is probably not right. Now, why do people say that to me? They don't need me to know that it's not right. They know it's not right. But what I'm doing is probably not right, but my marriage is so miserable. And, you know, once I met this person, then all of a sudden things were better. And I'm so happy now. And everything's happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? What do you say? You know what God wants more than your happiness? Your obedience. He wants you to do the right things. Because this is what he knows. If you do the right things, you'll have joy forever. Happiness is a fleeting kind of thing. It's kind of like my daughter the first time we went on the rock and roller coaster uh, 
in uh, Disney. She was all happy. She's excited. She's like, Dad, this is awesome. We're going to do it. And then we get in the roller coaster, and it goes from zero to 60 in like no time whatsoever. And then she wasn't happy very much. And see, that's what happens in our lives. We're happy, but God says if you really want it for the long term, you'll obey. He wants us to take our covenant and commitments seriously. And the reason is, is because words are important to God. That's why he wrote this book, this love letter to you. Because words are really important to him. Because words have the power to either build somebody up or to tear them down. In the first church that I pastored, there was a lady who was the treasurer of the church. Her name was Lib, and she walked into my office the very first day, and this is what she said. I was here before you became pastor, and I'll be here when you're gone. Don't mess anything up in between. And she was just mean and cantankerous. Everybody was afraid of her. No one ever confronted her. She did all kinds of stuff, and... Finally, we had to go to her house and say, you can't say those unkind things. She's like, well, I say them to my family. And she did. She'd just say it to anyone and everyone. She was hard enough. And then, in the last six months of her life, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And you would think that this would, like, turn everything around. But it didn't. She was still pretty hard enough. And finally, we got to close to the end of her life, and we were at the hospital, and she's on her deathbed, and she hasn't talked very much, and she had a 50-year-old son, and a 40-year-old daughter, and a 30-year-old daughter, and myself, and we're all standing there, and the tension was so great, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking to myself, these kids... Their mom's going to die, and they'll never have a chance to say what they really think about her. And so I get this prompting in my spirit that I should go ahead and kind of share with them that they should say something to their mom. Words of love. Well, no more than did I say, hey, let's share some words of love to your mom, but all of a sudden, live like set up. And she said, I've got something to say. And I'm thinking, oh my, this is not the way I pictured it. (laughs) And as she sat up, she looked around the room. And she said, I love you. I love you. I love you. The kids then said words of love. And two hours later, she died. At the viewing, the 50-year-old son, who was a big farmer, came up to me. And I'll never forget these words. I wrote them down. He said, I want to thank you, Chris, for having us share words of love at Mom's deathbed. It was the first time in my life she ever said, I love you. Folks, words are powerful. 
And they can either destroy or they can build up. But this is what I want to challenge you. Don't wait until someone's deathbed, even if they've hurt you and all kinds of stuff, to make things right, to use words of love with the people that are around you. Well, that's the progression of non-loving relationships. And just real quickly, because they're pretty much the same thing, if you flip it, these all can be a progression to loving relationships. And here's your fill-in. Progression of loving relationships is attitudes of love rather than non-love, pure looks of love, and encouraging words of love always lead to actions of love. When we have the attitude and we have eyes that are pure and we have good, encouraging words, then actions always come from that. Jesus then has this switch. He's talking about non-loving words and then all of a sudden he has this switch where he gives loving words. And this is what he says. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them to the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Go give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, you look at that and you're like, wow, that's a challenge. Is that really what he means? I mean, like if I'm in a relationship and my husband's beating me on one side of the face, does that mean I should just turn the other side and get beat on the other side? No! Is it saying that if I get sued, I should pay that suit and then say, hey, here's my house too, just take it. And by the way, take my wife and kids, here's my 401k take it too. No. Is he saying that if you have a brother who's a drug addict and he's asking you to borrow some money and you just keep giving it to him over and over again because you're obligated to him, is that what Jesus is saying to do? No. Folks, Jesus isn't saying any of those things with his words, but often what happens is people miss interpret churches have before misinterpret this passage because they think it's a law but folks these aren't laws jesus is not teaching laws he's teaching illustrations of what the kingdom people might do in certain circumstances for example wisdom in our culture is if someone harms you what do you do harm them back If somebody hits you, what do you do? Hit them back. If you have something, you only give it freely to just a few people. Don't be too generous. Keep it mainly to your family. Folks, the question here isn't, am I doing the kind of things that Jesus described in this illustration? The question is, am I becoming the kind of person that Jesus is illustrating here? Am I becoming a kingdom kind of person? Here Jesus is teaching that we are to die to the natural reaction, the reflex reaction. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get back at him. I'm going to do it right now. So much so 
that I think they must have been shocked when Jesus said, that's not enough, let me go a little bit further, and he shocks the crowd with these words. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You ever notice that? Mean, nasty people have good things that happen to them too. It rains on all of us. If you lose those who love you, what re- or if you love those, if if the, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? Anyone will do that. And if you only greet those people, what are you doing more than to others? Do not even the pagans do that. The ultimate goal, our big idea, the ultimate goal of the kingdom of God is to move most of our relationships to the law of love, right? Is the word most? Is it some? Is it few? How many relationships should we be moving toward the law of love? All of them. So the question becomes, how do we do that? What do our actions look like when we practice the law of love? So rapid fire style, I just want to give you three things to challenge you this week. The first way we practice the law of love is by being a loving servant like Jesus is. Being a loving servant. You ever notice when you read the Bible and Jesus is walking through his day and someone tries to interrupt him. He has plenty of time for him. The children come and the disciples say, push him away. And Jesus says, no, no, let him come to me. I'll take care of them. Or remember the night before he's uh, actually crucified on a cross. It was the job of the servant boy to wash the feet of everyone who walked in the door. Because everyone's feet was either bare or had sandals and they were dirty and nasty. Anything and everything was thrown into the roads. Animal animal waste, all kinds of stuff. And so when people came in, they didn't want that in their house. And so the servant was to wash their feet. And on the night before Jesus is betrayed, he gets on his knees, the Son of God, and he washes all 12 of their feet, even the ones who would betray him and deny him. And then he goes and he says these words. He says, if you want to be great, you know how you're great? You become a servant to most, some, A few? No, you become a servant to all. To love all people, even the ones you wouldn't like. And then the next couple things. You love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. Loving your enemies. Praying for those who persecute you. You know, nobody goes through life, none of us go through life, without developing a few enemies. Haven't you accumulated at least one or two enemies in your life? I think most of us have. I heard a guy one time say this. I've never murdered anybody, but if killing ever becomes legal, I've started a list. Okay, some of you will have to think about that later on or have somebody tell you. Okay. Folks, loving our enemies is difficult, 
Because if you're going to love an enemy, you have to forgive that person. You have to get beyond the resentment and bitterness towards them. The first church uh, that I pastored, uh, there was a lady in the church who was our main organist, and her name was Deb. And there were only four organists and pianists that were there. We only had two instruments in the church, an organ and a piano. If you're less than 35, Google what an organ is, and then you'll find out what it is. But uh, that's the only two instruments we had, and we sang hymns. Basically, you got a book that had words on it, and you tried to follow along to sing along with it. And I love hymns. I was raised on hymns. We do hymns here every once in a while. But the way that this church did hymns when I first got there felt more like you were at a funeral than at church. And so what would happen is the song leader would get up, who had usually no musical skill at all, they would open up the hymnal, and then they would just start looking at the hymn, never smiling. And so the first thing I did was I got all the hymnal uh, leaders, and I said, all I want you to do, you don't even have to say the words. I just want you to go up and smile. And if you hit one or two, great. If not, don't worry about it. And all of a sudden, we started singing hymns a lot better. And we did this for about three years. Everyone was singing hymns. We were doing really well. But they started coming out with some contemporary songs. And I thought, we could throw a couple of those in because they have a rhythm and beat that might help people connect even a little bit more. Some of the younger people in this small rural uh, farming community. And so I sat down the four organist pianists and I said, hey, um, this is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? They're all like, that's great. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And then two weeks later, I... Uh, walked into my office to my desk and there in an envelope I open it up it's a resignation from Deb and I'm like well I don't know why she resigned so I called her and I didn't get a response and then all of a sudden she started telling other people I was a dictator I had told them that they had to do this no matter what, and there was no turning back. And if you didn't like it, you were out, and that's why they were leaving, and started putting my name all through it. So I started calling her again because I knew I needed to try to make this right, and she never answered. This was before caller ID, so I don't know if she just let it go to the answering machine or what, but never did it. Well, finally, I called from a payphone one time, and then she picked up. And once she found it was me, she hung up. And to be honest, you know what I had a thought of with Deb? Was taking a baseball bat to her precious Ford car. And I felt this harboring of a grudge toward her for almost two years. And then one day I was reading this passage when all of a sudden, it wasn't audibly, but just in my mind, I sensed God saying, Chris, it's time to love your enemy and start praying for him. And I started doing that. And that took a couple more years. And just before we left and we moved here to Munson, as God would have it, I had a funeral that I officiated at. And in this town, they didn't have someone who played the organ. They always hired someone from the church and they hired Deb. And they, the organ was always in this little room, 
and there were these little blinds that would go up, and they would go up to be able to see when the pastor was doing something. And while uh, I was up teaching, all of a sudden she closed the blind. Didn't even care. And she starts playing, and the service finally gets done, and I did the unthinkable that you do in Flora. I went to the back of the door that was in this little room, and I opened the door on the organist. And I said, Deb, I want you to know I forgive you for the things you've said about me. And I pray a blessing on your life. And you know what she did? She closed the door. (laughs) Folks, here's the point. What Jesus asked us to do in these passages is hard. Difficult. It's not easy. But it's the one thing that separates Christ followers maybe from any other person in the world is that Jesus challenges us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. So I just want to ask you today, is there a relationship in your life that you need to make right? if so, I pray that you would do that and be open to that today. Let's pray. Wow, God, these are, these are tough words. And we thank you for guiding us and convicting us this morning. For some of you, maybe this morning you have been harboring a non-loving attitude toward others. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend. Maybe for others of you, lust has kind of consumed you. And when I started talking about lust and being addicted to porn and different things, you're like, I don't want to hear that. But now all of a sudden you're like, ah, maybe that's an area I can change. Maybe for others of you, you have been talking around people's back and and gossiping about them, not being loving. But this morning, as you thought about a progression, like, hey, I could change this. I could change my attitude. I could change my behavior. I could change the way I look at people. I could change my words. I could be different. So, God, you know our hearts wherever we're at. So would you change us right now? God, give us the strength to forgive quickly and often so that we could be set free. And, Jesus, if there is someone who's been holding back forgiveness from someone else, God, would you... Show them how to forgive that person. It may not be face-to-face. It might be a first step of just forgiving them in their own heart and then simply asking you, how would you want me to do this? And maybe it's a letter that you mail or it's a sit-down conversation or maybe it's simply releasing that person to God. Would you help us today to do whatever we need to do turn to your light and to live in your kingdom. 
for some of you, maybe the thing that you need to do today is you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but that is the kind of life that I kind of want. But I've never made a commitment to Christ. I've never gave my life to him. And so if you're ready to surrender your life today, if you're ready to say, I need that. I need an attitude change. I need to be different. I need his forgiveness. I need his plan. I need to take away my burdens. I need the assurance of heaven. Then I invite you to simply pray this prayer after me. In fact, uh, we don't pray here alone, and so if you're praying here for the first time, you're not alone. We pray it with you, and in unison, we lift up this prayer. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of forgiveness. Help me to forgive. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could be with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we are so excited. And we want to come alongside you and join with you and celebrate that commitment that you made today. And so if you did that, um, I want you to take out the Connect card that Chris told you about earlier. And there's a box on the back where you can check that. And that way we can kind of connect with you and, again, come along with you and celebrate that commitment that you made. We also ask you to stop by the accepted Christ table which is in the back and Chuck is back there and he would like to give you a free gift and a Bible and just say that we're so happy that you made that commitment today. Um, Again, take out your connect cards because in a moment we're going to receive an offering and these are going to go in that bag. Chris was telling you about these earlier so fill out your information and on the back if you'd like to put your prayer requests we'd welcome your prayer requests so that we can lift you up in prayer this week and we do hold all those in confidence um, greeters can go ahead and come forward in a moment we're going to receive an offering and if you're new to the jar we really aren't about pressuring you or or anything about money uh, we really do just want to get to know you Uh, But if you call the jar your church home, um, we just ask that you would give as God leads your heart to give because he is just so incredibly generous to us. And we want to have an opportunity to give back and be generous to him. So why don't you pray with me as we bless this offering. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to meet today and for the words that you've given us in scripture to be able to navigate relationships because at times they do become difficult. Um, But we thank you for caring about us enough to help us along that journey. God, we just ask that you would bless this offering, that you would multiply it, that you would allow us to know how to use it best to serve others and to show your love to this community and beyond. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Uh, If you are new to the jar and you have not had a chance to do so, maybe this is your first week or you've been coming for a few weeks and you haven't had a chance to do that, um, I invite you to stop by the guest connections table. It's on uh, your way out of the gym. 
way back in there. Shelly's pointing it out. Uh, we have a free gift for you. We're just excited that you're here, and so we want to give you a gift to tell you that. And there are no strings attached at all, so please stop by uh, our guest connections table. If you want to know what's going on uh, in the church and keep connected with everything, please download our app. Uh, we have all kinds of announcements on there, ways that you can sign up. You can give through the app. You can fill out your um, your teaching outline, all of those different things you can do on the app. So you can also check those types of things out. We also have some information in your program, or you can stop by the resource table if you have any questions. I just want to tell you about a couple of things that we have coming up here at the JAR in the next few weeks. First of all, we have 4th of July. Can you believe that's like less than two weeks away? It's crazy. Uh, so, But we have a blast every 4th of July. So if you want to uh, join us, we would love to have you there. Tui Park, um, across from the pool at the shelter, uh, we, re- we rent that out. And we will provide the main dish and water and tableware and that sort of thing. You bring a side dish, lawn chair, games, whatever, come at 7 o'clock. We have a fun picnic. And then after that, we're going to split up this year. Some of us are going to go to um, the Muncie Fireworks, and some of us are going to go to the Yorktown Fireworks. And we're going to pass out a ton of glow necklaces. These are really popular. Everyone gets really excited about it. It's just a way for us to show a small token of our you know, love for the community and reach out to our community. So come to the fireworks at Tui, um, the picnic first at 7 o'clock, and then we'll follow that with fireworks either in Yorktown or in Muncie. So put it down. Come. All right. Next thing I want to tell you about, if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler or you know a middle schooler or a high schooler, we have a program at the JAR called Impact. And it meets every Sunday at 6 o'clock upstairs. It's a super great program. You definitely want to get your kids involved. Or, again, if you know kids that are in that age group, it's a really great time for them. Now, on the 1st of July, which is next Sunday, there's a special program called Burgers, Bonfires, and Bible. Does that sound fun or what? And it is not going to be here, so don't bring the kids here. It's going to be at our student ministry director's home, Don Richmond's home, uh, and it's from 6 to 8, and it's going to be a super fun night where they can kind of explore uh, the Bible and how it impacts their lives, and they're going to have a whole lot of fun doing it as well. So put that down and mark that on your calendar. Um, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up now. And so if anyone wants uh, to have prayer after the celebration, please come up. Uh, We have folks that would be happy to pray with you uh, if you have something going on in your life that you would like for them to lift up. So, All right, let's stand. So uh, right after this is First Steps with Chris, so would love to meet you uh, if uh, I haven't. And this week, as you go through, you get to choose whether you're going to have non-loving relationships or loving relationships. And the progression always is to have an attitude first and then to be able to have eyes that look that way and a behavior and an action will follow. So know that you're loved in this place. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks.